You are now listening to the Wiser Words podcast. Hi guys, so welcome to the podcast. And today I'm with Alistair Clegg, the C- a CX practitioner from London. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to get stakeholder buy-in from uh, various different organisations, uh, companies, stakeholders. So, Alistair, how are you? Very good, thank you very much for inviting me on this uh, rather cold Thursday. Freezing, freezing. Yeah. So I thought we could do a a general introduction and then we'll get straight into it. So yeah, fire away, talk about your story, your life. Let's go. My story, okay. Um, uh, My kind of UX story, I guess um, I started off in startups. Um, I was at an incubator uh, to start off with. Had my own startup, which was kind of a version of Deliveroo, but then realised that actually everybody else in the incubator needed UX more than they needed another startup. So I kind of um, had a go uh, doing that and studied it as well. And then uh, later on, I kind of moved to uh, Whitbread, where I worked on Premier Inn and their restaurants as well. Um, Part of the kind of Whitbread digital transformation that was um, quite quite an incredible um, experience, a story actually. uh, and then after that, I was at uh, uh, Andy, which is um, in partnership with Toyota, working on financial products. So, um, yeah, I've done kind of lots of different uh, sectors and things like that. And working at startups, you know, everything from uh, doing the dishes to um, doing uh, kind of like analytics to UX design to all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So in terms of getting stakeholder buy-in then, mm. How do you get buy-in from a company as a whole, for especially companies who are not that UX mature at the moment? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of materials out there that are about what is the right process, what's the most user-centric process. The only thing is it's only worth doing that when the people you work for actually value that. Otherwise, it's kind of a distraction um, uh, and it's it's really really not worth doing either. Um, so I think there's kind of a few ways of a few ways of doing it. And there's a few things to to think about. Um, so if we kind of categorize it into two things, the first one being kind of changing the company or kind of getting buy-in from the company as a whole, and then getting buy-in from individual stakeholders. I think those are kind of two separate things. Um, one being a kind of business change process and one being more of a um, kind of something you do as, well, it's really your job um, uh, and business change isn't isn't always your job. Uh, So talking about changing the company first, I think like the most important thing that a lot of people uh, uh, forget to consider when wanting to get buy-in is really picking their battles like particularly if you move into a company that is really um, like really really kind of immature with these kind of user-centered practices um, if you start pointing out everything that's a problem uh, people will just stop listening to you completely um, you really need to think about the long term and be willing to compromise like being a purist in a company that is just really really immature yeah, you just won't survive. You'll become so frustrated, so burnt out, um, and I don't think you'll make much of an impact either. So I really think about picking your battles. Like one example I can think of is where 
you know, uh, a particular company wanted to um, release a product and uh, they, um, basically the, the, the situation came where it was like, okay, we can release it now and then do some UX work later um, or we can slow down the release and do the UX work now. Now, the thing, the kind of purest approach would be, okay, let's slow it down, do the UX and then release it later. Thing is that project was probably going to be cancelled if we did that. Yeah. So you actually had to sure. accept that we've got to do it the wrong sure. way, which is do UX later. Yeah. But in that instance, it's like you, you don't want to sort of cut off no, your nose despite your face, right? Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of people would fight, but then it looks like you're just trying to disrupt the whole process. And then, you know, you may not last at that company if you did that. So I think picking your battles is so important and thinking about the long term and building relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like picking your battles then, so say you're new into a company, you're at a lead level, who do you who do you go to first? Do you go to the CMO? Do you go to the CPO? Do you go to the CEO? Does it depend on the size? Does it, and it also, also depends on where UX sits within that company. Yeah. There's so many things that are sort of depend mm. on that, I think, you know. Um, I think, uh, really the end like the most effective thing is if you can win the buy-in of somebody at leadership level that's ultimately you want to get so you might find there's multiple routes to that to that way um i think just from what i've seen predominantly it's typically mark them on the marketing side that will get the buy-in from ux first typically but i've also seen it on the technology side as well and sometimes on the business side so it can be kind of any but um, I'm certainly more familiar with sort of getting the buy-in from uh, marketing or, or technology side of things. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of the ultimate goal. And then once once you've kind of got them on board, it's all about um, uh, really supporting what really supporting them more than driving your own agenda. As long as it's going kind of in the right direction, yeah, um, you'll find it probably works. Yeah, for sure. And when you're going into a company who's quite UX immature guessing that's why you need that lead level but then the problem i see is especially as a recruiter is you know people want mids juniors because they can't afford to pay at, at that, that leadership level yeah but someone coming in as a midway doesn't have the business acumen doesn't have the business strategy skills to then get that buy-in so it's like they come they're coming in they're doing the well, what it's a horrible term but doer work right so they're just churning right. out stuff how would you advise them to say like look like how would you advise them to say look I need I need someone to lead me. I need I need help here, but they can't get that buy-in because they just don't understand the business side where yeah, yeah. all those stakeholders, CMO, CPO, CEO, all they tend to see is like business side and the business metrics. Right. I think if you're a junior, don't go in as a UX team of one and yeah. expect to be doing um, the kind of UX that you've read in the textbooks you're going to be doing predominantly marketing work you know you might find out that that's what you end up doing or you might actually slowly turn into a business analyst or slowly turn into a developer you'll kind of just slowly turn into something else and if you wanted to be a UXer then yeah you kind of uh, failed at that um, sure but I mean I think it's almost in a way it's companies responsibilities not to do that and hire juniors and it's yeah. say right we've ticked that box now um so now we've got ux which is which is great so now we're gonna you know win in the marketplace uh, now that we've hired a junior in our yeah. 1000 person company um i think for juniors 
I mean, this is the advice that I've kind of followed, and uh, I think it's really, honestly, it's the right thing to do. Is your first job, you want to go and find somewhere that does it properly as mm-hmm. much as possible, and get a job there and learn from everyone else. Yeah. Um, because uh, yeah, learning from books is good, but you need to uh, do the practical as well. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't beat that in-person practice does it yeah on live projects yeah having a mentor and having someone to like and actually kind of uh, attaching yourself to senior and then doing the project with them you start to learn like all these things i think a lot of yeah a lot of good decision making in ux is kind of um it's almost not conscious you Mm -hmm. kind of uh you've done it so many times you kind of know what the right thing is to do you kind of see these things before and i think that's something you learn from working with a senior yeah sure Okay, so say you're you're now in a room with CEO, CMO, CPO. How how do you persuade them of what you're trying to sell, which is obviously UX work? I don't know if this has just been my experience, but all the persuasion has been done beforehand. By the time you get to that meeting, that you know, a meeting like that is typically the bit at the very end once okay. you've done all the work. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, this is a messy process. It's really, really messy when you're trying to influence. When, when you're trying to turn, say, like a whole um, suite or board uh, of people at that kind of level, it's very, very messy. Um, uh, if you're, especially if you're not at that level and you're kind of doing it vicariously through someone else, it's very messy. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you've just got to win as many people over as possible. The other thing you need to accept is uh, it may not work. Like, you could be working for two years to, like, drive a transformation forward. Mm-hmm. Actually, it might not work, even after all that hard work. Sure. Uh, but on the other hand, it might, and then it's yeah. really, it's it's amazing. Um, it's it's really a fantastic experience being able to, like, build stuff once you've kind of got that buy-in. Yeah, sure. um, yeah. So, is there any like theories, tips, like that you would have for um, someone at that at a meeting like that, who's, or who's yeah. who's in that or pre-meeting and they're they're trying to get that by and they're speaking to the CMO, they're speaking to the CEO. I think influencing the right things first. If you go in to a company, kind of you know maybe at a senior UX level or lead level or something like that, and you immediately start um, trying to influence the purpose of the company. So, like, why does the company exist? Yeah. So it might be, uh, we we were talking about before. Um, why do we exist? Uh, we exist because we want uh, people to uh, love their dogs even For more. Sure. Something like yeah. that. That's why we exist in the world. Now, if you go in as a UX and say, that's not really a very good purpose statement. It should be more about. Um, uh, something to do with uh, how dogs have an impact on people. You know, we want m- more of that. You know, you start analysing, critiquing that. That will annoy a lot of people. You've started at the very reason why everybody's doing everything. Yeah. The, you know, that is not the place to start. Sure. I think some people have done some really great work on how to kind of do business change at this. Typically, the best place to start is process. If you can start on so you know, let's say you're UX and not kind of a more general CX if you, you did UX just look at how products are developed start off at that level and say you know what would be great is if we could do start the design work a bit earlier than that and we're not at the end that, let's try that and kind of yeah. you know that that's just about the process then kind of the next thing would be uh, kind of the what is happening in, yeah. in the um, the company so 
what's on the roadmap. That is hard to influence if you haven't already showed people how your UX process adds value. If you go in straight and say, we need to change this roadmap, there's loads of people who want to change the roadmap, but you haven't proven anything. There's no necessary value. So I think that's kind of next. And then after that, you can start thinking about uh, purpose and those kind of larger, maybe yeah. like the brand, like why, do, why does it exist and um, what is its position in the marketplace? Those things come a lot later. So you kind of got to work your way up. And I think and the other thing is, um, the typically the C-suite would not be interested in the how, that first bit, that process of how product development's done. They might show some level of interest, but it's unlikely. Their kind of altitude, uh, especially a big company, their kind of altitude is, is not at that kind of process Grand level. level. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you kind of got to work your way up to that C-suite and... Um, uh, and then talk to them about the right things, essentially, uh, in their language at the right altitude yeah. um, and something they care about. If you try and make your own strategy for the company and kind of force it onto them, they'll just yeah. not be interested. You need to follow the company strategy. You're an employee uh, who has to do your job and follow the com yeah. company strategy. You and the, fun that. And the yeah. fundamental soft skill for UX, right, is empathy. So if they Absolutely. can empathise with, you know, they, the business still has to make money, the business is making money, you are an employee of the business, but then just put, like, your your opinions across in a way which will help both. You've got to empathise... of that, right? Yeah, yeah. you've got to empathise with the stakeholder as much as you've got to empathise with your user. Um, if you empathise with one and not the other... Yeah. You either have no impact, which is what happens if you don't empathise with the stakeholder, or you won't have a... You won't be doing UX if you're not empathising with your user. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation. You've got to have both, really. Yeah. Um, so kind of thinking about, to your question before, about like what sort of things you can do, um, if you're looking to get stakeholder buying, I think presentations is one thing to think about. Like If you're great at presenting, um, that's really going to help. If you're not sort of good at um, getting across... Um, your kind of argument for why you should be doing UX, then it's going to be a, a, a much tougher sell. Um, yeah, one of the things we were talking about before was this uh, idea of the bicycle model, right? So uh, the kind of bicycle model uh, it goes something like this. So there's kind of a front wheel and there's a, a back wheel. Um, the back wheel is all about drive. It's driving the bicycle forward. Um, the front wheel is all about steering it in the right direction. Now. If you were to drive a bicycle without a front wheel, it would just go in a random direction really kind of fast. If you only did with the front wheel, it wouldn't go anywhere. Um, obviously, I'm not thinking about unicycles here. This is kind of outside yeah. the scope of that, that metaphor. But so thinking about the drive thing, so imagine you're doing a presentation. Uh, let's say like a US presentation, you've done a bunch of research, now you want to make an argument about something in particular. Uh, the things that typically kind of make people um, driven to take action on the argument that, that you've made is making it very human. Um, things like videos of users being genuinely annoyed about an interface or a product or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Pe what you'll find with those kind of videos is often somebody, like your stakeholders, will take completely different conclusions from that. This is like the front wheel. be steered in a complete wrong direction, but they'll all be super motivated to go and solve it. Um, which is why I think those kind of things like um, 
you know, pictures of users with particular expressions with the product and, and videos as well, them actually using it. Um, the other thing is like making your presentations like look great. Like, I, d I don't know why, but for some reason, if it looks great, if it's really kind of uh, visually nice and like a lot of effort has gone into it, people just seem to be uh, more excited about it and it kind of stands out a bit. And obviously, um, for it to be kind of more story driven, mm -hmm. People want to take action on stories a lot more than they want to take action on just information. Yeah, for sure. Um, 100% agree. Yeah. The example I always use is like, if you walk into a room with a graph, nobody's going to be excited, probably, at most companies at least. Um, Depends which company. Yeah, yeah, it does. But like, generally, generally yeah. speaking, like graphs don't excite people, but it would steer them in the right direction. So this is like the other side of the equation, which is the, the kind of front wheel. You know, when you're, when you're doing your, let's say, let, let's keep the example of a research playback. You want very specific lists on what to solve. Mm -hmm. These are the problems. Here's the videos. Here's it all happening. Here's the real stuff. Here's the specific list of problems that we need to solve. Obviously, there's some, like, compromise and things you can, you can do in that. But you need to be specific. Also, like, quantitative work as well. I think in research, we, we need to see a lot more of that. Um, Mapping. You've said that before, actually. Yeah. Because obviously I remember hiring for your team and um, when you were giving me the brief, you were saying that there's a lot of people that could do qualitative research but not as much quant. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Is that Does that stem from, just, I know it's sidetracked, but does that stem from universities not teaching the right things or people coming into UX through, you know, traditional more um, boot camps and they're just learning very superficial UX? Yeah. It's interesting. I'm not... I'm not I'm not sure why that is. I mean, so for me, the reason I know uh, statistics and things like that is it was a compulsory module in my yeah. human-computer interaction masters. Like you had to do it. Sure. If you failed it, you failed the whole masters. Yeah. So you had to learn statistics for psychology and things like that. I think, yeah, definitely, you see it. Um, people from more formal education backgrounds are more likely to be out to be advanced on that. But on the other hand, I've seen people who've come from um, like data analysis into UX. So obviously they're like 10 times better than, yeah, than well, anyone else and, and those kind of things. Um, but mixed methods, uh, which is you know using quant and qual for, mm -hmm. to really reach the same conclusions, um, is more and more in demand. Like Spotify is now a requirement for the product insights team at Spotify is that you have a good amount of knowledge in both and you're a kind of an expert in one at least. Um, we're going to see a lot more of that kind of blend of data analysis and uh, qualitative yeah. UX. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, UX research roles which are purely quantitative. Yeah. They're, they're looking for purely quant-based researches, and they are hard to find, especially across PERM, mm. for sure. Mm. Um, so, the question I have for you as well, just to sort of like sort of wrap it up. If someone's interviewing at a, at a company and they're not quite sure about their UX maturity, what sort of questions would you think, what, what sort of questions would give them that insight? So they can go away from that interview and know that, okay, this company's moving in the right direction, I have no concerns. Because, you know, we've all heard it, people going into a company and get sold a dream and one month in they're like, oh my God, what yeah. am I doing here kind of thing. I think you want to look for those signals that they take UX seriously. Um, sort of three that come to mind are uh, 
Is there any UX or CX representation at leadership level? Is there somebody, like, is there a chief product officer? Is there a chief experience officer? Or is there chief customer officer? These are the kind of things to look for, or even, you know, the directorship level or something like that. Um, you know, if it's, if, uh, I mean, the, the, none of these are hard and fast rules. They're all kind of like general rules of thumb that you, you can use. So if a company does two out of three of these, that's actually probably quite good. Um, but so yeah, things that kind of leadership level, things like that. The other thing is timing and involvement in projects, I think. So if UX is done at the very end, so they built the product, they built the interface, mm. and they say, yeah, can we just UX it a bit now? That is <laughs> another, heard that right, that, that's <laughs> another signal that yeah. maybe isn't taken that seriously. If UX is involved at the kind of discovery stage at the beginning and there's like rigorous process of uh, exploration, um, that's always something to look for. Yeah. And the third one, which is actually quite, you know, it's quite sad that this is something you might even need to ask, which is, are the projects that UX has been involved with, have they actually been built? So, yeah, it's quite, it's not that common, particularly in large organizations, mm. I think, where everything that's get designed gets built and everything that gets built gets designed. Mm. It's not that common, seemingly. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's becoming more common, which is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you can get probably two out of the three of those, then that would be yeah, great. Absolutely. Awesome. So to wrap it up, I uh, wanted to ask you a question which I'm going to ask all the, all the uh, participants in the podcast is, where do you see the future of, of UX? Say five, ten years' time, do you think there's still going to be a need for UX designers, CX, service design, or is it going to be something, another job title is going to be a buzz? I think what we're going to see is a lot less of UX being around production of things. So whether, you know, there's now things like UX developer, that's, I don't think that's going to be as common. Yeah. Like UX designer is a wireframe producer. Don't think that's going to be as common. I think what we're going to see more is UX as uh, the best kind of analogy I've got it for it is like conductors of an orchestra. Mm -hmm. As things get smart and intelligent, and things all everything is connected essentially when we're in a connected world, designers are going to become more like um, conductors of an orchestra where they say violins play then play that loud and then uh, cellos you play a little bit and then timpani you come in and then everybody gets slower and quieter together. And then everybody gets louder. It's almost like that. Like yeah. this is how we're going to see sure. design evolve. I yeah. think into those more less about production. And I think simply that the simply the reason is things are going to get more complicated. And where design is adding the value right now is its ability to look end to end. That seems to be the yeah. the one thing that that other disciplines don't have as much. Um, and so as long as I think, uh, you know, put your eggs in the thinking end-to-end -end basket, mm -hmm. if there's kind of one thing you do in terms of your skill set, because that's where I think we're, we're going to see it going. That's going to be the one kind of fairly stable bit of value that, that 
UX as the CX will have, yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.